When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Your Book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm Daisy Buchanan, your host and the author of The Sisterhood, A Love Letter to the Women Who Shape Us, out now in paperback. For our fifth series of Your Booked, we're in the USA. This time we're back in Brooklyn and hanging out with the fabulous Shelby Lawman, author of Awards for Good Boys and creator of the hugely popular Instagram account of the same name, but also with Shelby's dog Clem. We talked about disappointing endings. Should you write to an author and complain? Past Shelby did. We also looked at what it's like when half your book collection is still lining the shelves of the people who once broke your heart and how it really feels to watch your own book going out into the world. Enjoy. I love that. So that's the, um, apparently Meghan Markle, when she was allowed to have a blog, that was her system, was the, um, the piling of the books to create a an attractive shelf. I just weirdly had so many orange and red books and a lot of pale pinks, oh. as you can see. So I was like, you know, it's so I, easy. It's I what love... I do everywhere. It's like the, the cheapest apartment hack in the entire world is just take a bunch of books that look fine together and then I just like put a thing on it. Oh, there's a beauty's there. You've got a couple of my favorites. Oh, the yeah? Idiot and the Lucia Berlin book, A Manual for Cleaning Women. It's such a good book. So this was also one of my favorites. The Rings of Saturn. Um, I love a mixed media book, obviously. Oh, can, can we see? Oh, yeah. I, don't, I do not know that title. So this is uh, W.G. Uh, Siebold. Yeah, my, my literary professors somewhere are like thrilled that I, uh-huh. <laughs> that I pulled out Siebold. Um, yeah, so most of his books, I think, are mixed media. This one focuses a lot on walking and like body as movement it's lots of underlining is yeah that your original copy or did you this is my original it? copy i read it in school so as you can see this was a really poignant what the literal fuck that's a really poignant marginalia <laughs> note that i made <laughs> clearly like really really taken by that yeah that one says cool <laughs> <laughs> nice big butterflies or Moths, they look like maybe they're a bit more... His work is really um, somber. <laughs> it's really, really somber. But uh, it's also really beautiful. And I had a phase. Because I, you know, was trying to be a film boy for a second. And that felt like the right book to be reading for that. <laughs> of course, it's quite kind of cinematic and atmospheric. Yeah. It, I mean, I had this one class in college that was all about mixed media and hybrid uh books and movies and it just totally influenced my work forever and kind of you know is why I am a writer and illustrator I was like why why do one when I could just do both do you very much feel like absolutely both you don't feel like one is more the thing it's that you, you want crisis. to do it's such a crisis I feel like I I feel like I also please sit down I'm like the worst absolute worst oh, no, no, host no, it's, it's fine um, I'll be up so I can kind of all right yeah I am going to um try not to like mess up the books too much and put oh, them back can, where I found them there's but, um, no order there's no rhyme or reason to where anything is yeah I feel like I each day I like have a different order to how I uh, name what I do. Sometimes I'm like, I'm a comedian. And then other times I like have a panic about calling myself that. And then I'm like, the world's my stage. I'm a comedian. And then the next day I'm like, I'm firmly a cartoonist. And then other times I'm like, the cartooning is 
uh, a vessel for me to get my writing out there, which is true, but... I think that I've just kind of accepted that I am multiple. Really, Clem? You're really involved, huh? I feel pretty freed by being able to have different mediums to express what I'm thinking about. I mean, the the comics kind of started because I was like, I have these big, heady ideas. No one's going to read them. Like, not that no one's had these ideas before, but just like I was writing stuff for the internet at the time. I could see how long people were spending on my articles. No one cared. I was like, I have to, I have to develop a way to like hold people's attention and like, you know, make this small thing that represents a much larger point. Yeah, and the and the cartoons are have been really <laughs> have been great. Yeah. Outside, yeah, you, where do you want to be, huh? Um, can you tell me about this bit, Juliana Bruno at the submission? I don't know that either, but I love how huge it is. It's giant. Like, Honestly, I haven't read it. It's just it's a book that I got from a friend. You can move anything in the world. I love gifting books and I love receiving books and so I was like this is a large oh. pink book that I love. Journeys in art, architecture and film. Also I do have um I'm obsessed with automatons and um statues and sculptures and and any like golems anything that comes to life. And I saw that this book had a chapter, and so when someone gave it to me, I was like, oh, excellent. All right, and while we're here on the pile, um, Elizabeth Bishop, who, for shame, I also don't know, but I love when when people have poetry. Yeah, I'm not a huge poetry person, which I know is, like, scandalous, but I I am fond of Elizabeth Bishop. Um, I just, I have a lot of friends who are poets. I I know a lot of people who, like, are such uh, avid poetry readers, and I just, (laughs) I just, like, to me, it just doesn't, doesn't do much. Uh, when did you start reading Elizabeth Bishop? I'll try that again. When did you start reading Elizabeth Bishop? When did she come into your life? I think in, I want to say high school, we were, we had to uh, memorize a poem. And I definitely did a Bishop poem. Oh, I don't remember. remember which one? No, of course oh. not. <laughs> Terrible memory. I could, you know, I wonder if I could. Wow, these are like crunchy. That's always good, Clem, right? <laughs> I destroy my books, which I think is, like, to other readers, maybe, like, <laughs> alarming, but I, all my books look extremely red, because I just, like, I shove them in my bag, I write in them, I break the spines when I'm, like, trying to, you know, read them flat, I just absolutely destroy them. I feel like people are either one extreme or the other, yeah. you know, it's sort of, like, pristine, alphabetized, or it's like, let's go to town. I just... I, yeah, my books look very, um, very loved is how I will refer to them. But yeah, I mean, I just like to, they, when I'm reading books, I feel like they become very much like a part of my life. So they're just going everywhere with me. And Are your friends still happy to kind of, to lend them to you on that basis? Or has anyone said, okay, maybe not this one? I think if I, when, when people lend me books, I like have to be really delicate. I, you know, I like, it's a, it's a concerted effort where I'm like, I'm not going to write in this or like destroy it. I and sometimes when, remind myself, oh, I can't take this in the bath. It's not mine. Yeah. And then when I lend books, people are like, what did you do to this book? <laughs> like, this is horrible. And I'm like, I, you know. It was yeah. like this when I found it. Yeah. You're just going to, you're going to learn all of uh, the places that really spoke to me while you read my, my copy of this. I, yeah, I don't write in books as much anymore. I had a real phase of really embarrassing uh, marginalia, as you could see, of just like, oh my gosh, like, yes, this. What was the last book that you lent to someone? Have you, have you got anything out on loan at the moment? Oh, I do. I have um, the first three issues of Saga, which is a graphic novel. Those are with um, someone. I actually don't remember who I gave them to. Um, if you're listening, remember yeah, please, you got them and please and give, give them, them back. back. I actually, I have lent some of my favorite books to people uh, for various reasons I'm no longer friends with or talking to. So there are just some books that I have released into the world <gasps> and it feels like, you know, a, some metaphor where I'm like, take this this cherished book of mine, it is yours now. What have you lost? Uh, have you ever replaced them? What would you think? I lost this amazing uh, mixed media book called Don't Let Me Be Lonely, an American lyric. It was Claudia Rankine's, one of her early books. And she's a brilliant poet and lyricist and essayist. And that book just like totally revolutionized how I thought of what books could be and how. And it just, it's really long and thin and beautiful. Yes, I gave that to someone I, I am no longer speaking to. And I, you know, 
I mean, that's quite an intense book to sort it of is. have. It really is. It's someone else to have. He's not in your life. Yeah. Well, make yourself at home, Clem. What else do I have on Len that I'll never get back? Oh, there's this great book by Nell Zink uh, called The Wall Creeper. <gasps> I love that book. It's amazing. It's like my favorite first line in like any book. Um, I'm not going to remember it exactly, but it's just, it's so jarring. It's about how like she, they, she gets in an accident and then like loses the baby. And I remember reading and just being like, oh my God, this is how the book is starting. So is that the one, cause I get, cause I read it exa- exactly the same time as, um, is it Miss Laid? Yeah. Um, and the Will Creep, but they're in Germany. Yeah. Right. And it's, they've got the bird. Yes. And her partner, her husband sort of goes and gets very into like drugs and hiking and techno music. Yes. And it becomes that like kind of like eco terrorist. Mm. It, it's such a cool book. Yeah, I don't know who I lent that to. It's gone. <laughs> I loved it because it felt like I'm sure there is a real, you know, form and structure and it is probably, you know, quite traditional in lots of yeah. ways. But I felt like it was just so unexpected and so comfortably so yeah. that it was sometimes everything happened and sometimes nothing happened. You were just constantly being turned and twisted. It was such a surreal read. I remember just feeling like so disoriented but also like very grounded in this woman's perspective of what was happening and yeah I after I read that I read like I got so much nails ink I was like this this is very cool um I love that when you find an author you're like there's more yes oh it's the best thing you just like start to get a feel for what they're doing and what they've done before and just get to wait for their next stuff and yeah I I'm a huge fan when you were a kid, were there any books like that where you, you found an author or a voice and thought, this is made for me? Oh, that's a great question. I was and am a very avid sci-fi reader. And I remember like the first few kind of like fantasy sci-fi things I read where I was like, oh, like this is, this is my genre. Like this feels great. I read, <laughs> this is so embarrassing, uh... I was, like, really uh, invested in the endings of books that I read as a kid to the point where I uh, felt like everyone needed to know my opinions on it. So I remember, like, I don't remember this, but my mom reminds me of this, is that I read The Giver, um, hated the ending, and then wrote a letter to the author about how I did not like the ending. I was, like, (laughs) a child, and I was just like, here's my take on the ending of your published book. Did they reply? I'm not sure. I don't know if they did. But yeah, I did that a lot where I was just like, I would make my own endings to things. I would just like write my own stories. Like I was always uh, uh, had opinions on the way that other people did things, which is, you know, exactly what I do now. I'm just like a pretentious asshole, which is serves me well. Was your mum reading those books too? Or were you sharing any books or reading together? We did share books. There was a time where, like, me, my sister, and my mom were all reading Harry Potter together, which was very sweet, and, like, I was very much part of the fandom, like, would go to the bookstore to line up for Harry Potter to be released. Was there a character that you would like to to dress as or kind of channel? I think that I would just, like, put on a robe and a hat and, like, a, a wand, and I was just like, here I am. I mean, I just loved feeling like everyone was as excited about books as like I always felt like I was like I was like oh we're going to line up at the bookstore tonight like this is amazing usually we're like going to blockbuster this is my time I was like I felt really like at home at peace with I mean you know in the years past I've like have very different opinions about everything but like growing up with that such excitement for a book release. I mean, I haven't seen anything really like that since. Well, I kind of, I felt a little bit like that way about The Testaments, which, you know, um, I have opinions about the ending. I yeah. might write to Margaret Atwood. I read it, yeah. Um, but I was so excited to see how excited everybody was. Yeah. And that it's about the sequel to a book that is such a sort of a fierce feminist classic. You yeah. know, it's not like everybody, you know, lining up to read new Jonathan Franzen. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Jonathan Franzen. He's I know, like, he's like, he's my token male author that I make fun of which I feel fine about but it is like he just gets he really gets shit on yeah, I do that a lot on this podcast yeah you know, I, on mean, Jonathan Franzen. I mean he writes women I mean this is a, a problem with many dudes mm. it's just like the way that they write women is like just stock type men writing women and it's just it's so cringeworthy we are all looking at our tits in a mirror it's at all times. horrible it's so there's oh it just it, it sounds like um my dad wrote a porno. Sometimes <laughs> you're like, what is, like, this is just so, it's so cringy. 
are there any male authors who you think get it right? Oh, mm-hmm. totally. Totally, totally. Think, oh, that's a- I'm not someone, maybe this is like to my detriment, who is like, I'm not reading any white men. Like, no, no, no. Like, you know, I absolutely think that like many people are, are wonderful writers and c- can create captivating stories. And I think it's really difficult you know, not to. Yeah, really. you've really got is. to kind of create your own canon. I mean, you absolutely can. I think that like to do it out of sort of like I'm not reading any white men as this like political statement. I I get that. I like agree with it. For me and like my reading tastes, like it's just always going to be a bit all over the yeah. place. I certainly make. I certainly just by what I'm drawn to and by choices I make end up reading more women, especially women mm-hmm. of color. Uh, but like yeah I'm not like absolutely no that would like take off a huge chunk of my books that I return to which men get it right (laughs) it's a good question um I recently read how to write an autobiographical novel by Alexander Chi and that was really brilliant he's really brilliant I don't know that it's red it was in my red uh folder yeah I'm trying to see I honestly I thought Kim Stanley Robinson was a woman until and then I learned recently that they're not oh thank um, you so much so Alex Chi is one of the most important writers and um, one of our most important writers and we should listen to every damn thing he has to say from Jamie Attenberg so you know it's good so is this a novel or it is and it isn't it's very like a uh, meta commentary on writing the thing itself and then just becoming a writer and his life so it's um, kind of autofiction? Yeah. It's, it was really, it was beautiful. Um, oh, I should say, before I get, this is a handsome, handsome bookshelf. Isn't it wonderful? Okay, it my, the last apartment that I lived in, when we moved in, our previous tenants left all their furniture. We're just like, we can't, we're moving out of New York, we don't care. Um, and none of my roommates wanted this, so I was like, I will have it. And I've, you yeah. will take one I was like, team. this is really, this is going to be mine now, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at to see <laughs> the other one. We can come back to that. I've just, uh, this caught my eye, this really beautiful edition of Lydia Davis' oh, stories. Oh, the best. The absolute best. Well, I've not seen it. Oh, it's Picador. This, this looks like a book you have loved. Yeah, I really, it's, I feel like I've had that for years. I, I mean, I love all of the stories in there but sometimes when I just really like need some emotional cutting I read break it down and and just cry um because it is just heartbreaking and it gets me every time every time it gets me (laughs) it's really it's grim I think it's to write short stories of that kind of that intensity and again it's what you were talking about in terms of you know economy and having to saying something really big in a really small space it's Mm -hmm. um um, I, I hate how talented she is. <laughs> it's un- yeah, it's really, it's cool. I, I want to return to reading more um, short stories, honestly. I had quite a, a phase, and now I I read mostly nonfiction and sci-fi. Those are like the two, the two poles that I am sort of uh, straddling at all times. Do you feel like there's a gap between kind of what you read for pleasure and what you read when you're kind of in that? work headspace the stuff that I make for work is stuff that I am always thinking about whether I want to or not but there is certainly like a place that I go to when I want to read uh and not be as kind of wrapped up in the in the stuff that I'm working on whereas like there are so many essays and and non-fiction things and um just there are so many ways to to stay uh, engaged and so when I like to kind of like find another world to enter I I do it very literally where I'm like I am reading this like seven book epic about space and I'm just gonna be there and it'll be great um I can understand how hugely appealing that is and I think it's maybe similar to kind of why Harry Potter is so loved it's a universe that you can allow to consume you oh absolutely now as well the real world is increasingly less appealing oh it's bad out there and the best sci-fi the best books of any kind you know they don't let you off the hook they force you to think about how it's still our world how it's still people Mm. how people are still horrible monsters regardless of where they are and so I'm never looking for um not there's anything wrong with like a a quote-unquote beach read uh you know who cares but when I when I want my beach read I want it to be like I want a galaxy, I want some weird politics, I want some gender bending, 
you know, a molecule, weird, you know, I want it all. On that theme, I just spotted, and I have to start yeah. asking about books I don't know, and yeah. not books I do know, but I love that book, Paul Texas' Mother oh, Girl by Andrew yeah. Lawler. I finished that, like, a month or two ago. I loved it, and it left me feeling really uneasy, uh, which I think, as a cis person, and as a relatively sometimes straight person, I was like, you know, I should feel uncomfortable with this, and it left me a lot to think about. Oh, I do have other books on loan. Wow, I'm missing a lot. I see um, <laughs> some uh, Claudia Rankine that survived yeah. the loaning. Um, yeah, I think I have Citizen still. Um, yeah, that's the one I saw, I think. Yeah, but so grim. I got it. This is really just reminding me that I have to send some angry texts about what people have done with my, with my books. Yeah, what else am I reading? I mean, I have a lot of... Graphic novels and oh, just Dog Days. Oh, yeah. I just I was very, very, very tempted to buy an early edition of this in the Strand for like oh ten million dollars oh, or something. So cool. so I won't go home. It's fine. I'll yeah, just stay here by the glass this. case. That was a gift from my ex's mother. It was very nice of her. Oh, I love that line drawing it off. Sleepy I dogs. Know. Yeah, we're uh, my family has dachshunds. My mom glitched and was like, only dachshunds from here on out. So. I have, you know, dachshunds in the family. Yeah, what else am I reading? Oh, I loved this. Hmm, let's see where this one is. This is like one of the series from N.K. Jemisin, but my favorite was another one, which I wonder if I have. Yeah, this is the, oh, the Inheritance Trilogy. That was cool, too. Yeah, I just like... So what happens in I, Killing the Moon? Where are we? I think I... It's this one. There's a lot of dream stealing in here. Um, N.K. Jemison has the most amazing author photos, but really she's beautiful. It's just and really... so good. I when people are like, "What should a, what sort of sci-fi, what fantasy should I read?" I am just like, if you're trying to do contemporary stuff, N.K. Jemison is like, her world building is just so beautiful. It's obviously like still so profoundly related to things that we are thinking about and talking about today. And I just think that, like, if you're going to start engaging with sci-fi or fantasy, like, why not start by reading black women who are writing today rather than, like, oh, you know, I'm going to read this 200-year-old white man talking about the moon. It's like, okay, how are people interpreting this uh, this genre that has, like, so often been used to, like, reframe society's problems or to, to make you look at, like, a, another version of things? And so, yeah, that's my... That's always my go-to. Oh, this sounds amazing. Dragons and hateful spirits haunt the flooded streets of New Orleans in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. In a parallel universe, a utopian society watches our world trying to learn from our mistakes. A black mother in the Jim Crow South must save her daughter from a fae offering impossible promises. And in the Hugo Award-nominated short story, The City Born Great, a young street kid fights to give birth to an old metropolis's soul. So this is a collection of stories. Yes, it is. Oh, that's definitely something that I'm going to buy before the trip is out because oh, yeah I think so that's, that's such a good point as well and I think perhaps as well there are so many people who feel like sort of sci-fi and you know dystopian writing isn't for them because right. it's old white dudes right. and you know that sounds like it's for everyone and it's like also oh this is such a cool copy of the left hand of darkness not as cool as the one I it have the most beautiful edition isn't I've ever seen it's gorgeous it's kind of I sort of like how would you describe that blue? It's like sky blue, yeah. a shade light and cobalt with this sort of very, what's that font? so cool. It's very sort of 70s, I yeah. think. A bit boogie nightsy, but. It is a little bit boogie nightsy. Like, where have I seen that before? Yeah. Kind of shimmery silver. Oh, I love oh. this edition, but it's not as cool. I have like a, a pile of books that I have stored. Sorry, sorry, did we say what that is? The, oh, that's the, the um, Left Hand of Darkness. Left Hand of Darkness. Yeah, by, um, by Ursula K. Le Guin. I love like 70s and 80s art covers um, and so I have like a stack of those but they are precious so they're in my parents basement because where else would I <laughs> that's where the precious things go um, well, uh, like sci-fi ones or is that just you know, yeah anything? I love like weird old covers like this I bought just because I loved the cover so much I do love the book but like <laughs> I really just like this mache I just loved it I don't even know who is did that, it what's that um Phantom books. I see a lot of those editions. They've all got those oh, sort of yeah. fabulously lurid. Oh, it's just such good. Dramatic covers. Oh, sorry. And that book is A Death in the Family by James Agee. 
Let's see what else we got here. More Le Guin. Oh, such a great series. <laughs> talking about talking about white men I love. Garth Nix. What a great trilogy. I think A Porson is the last one. It is about, yes, Sabriel is the first one and then Liriel is the second. It is about these people with specific powers uh, where they can traverse the realm of the dead and then also send uh, the ones that creep over into the world of the living back to the dead through these special flutes. It's really wonderful. Oh, I just read this. The Ninth House Ninth by Leigh Badugo. Um, right, there's no V. I threw that in there. I, I really know. liked it, and I really want there to be um, a second one right now. I'm uh, is there really a impatient. One coming? It like easy. just came out. It ended in a way where I was like, "Oh, like you're setting this up for more." So I'm like praying that there's more because I just really loved the world, and I I felt like I fell into it really easily. And now, as often happens when I finish a book, I'm like, ah, where'd where'd they go? Like I just made these friends for a few days, and now they're gone. Do you ever reread books? You know, I reread a lot of nonfiction things when I'm like, oh, well, how did that person phrase this? Or like, um, what did this sound like? Like uh, Rebecca Traister, I go back to a lot. Um, this book, Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper, I go back to a lot. Oh, I don't know this. Oh, um, yeah, it's really cool. I made myself like a mini syllabus of books about anger, women's anger, um, last year. And... It was really, really fascinating. Um, I'm trying to think. There are definitely books that I've read multiple times. Honestly, I think Housekeeping is probably the only book I've read more than three times. Oh, that's so <laughs> spooky. That just came up, I think, on really? the alert we just recorded with um, Ada Calhoun. Oh, cool. He said it's, I think, did she her say favorite her favorite book? When people are like, what's your favorite book? And I feel overwhelmed by that question. I always feel good saying Housekeeping because it just is the most beautiful book. Like, I, I feel good about changing my, my feelings about what I'm reading at a given time because, like, I'm, like, housekeeping is, it's in my pocket. Like, this is, this is the one, like, I read it and I was, like, how can you be saying so much when this is about, like, emptiness and, and nothingness? Um, but, I mean, it's also so much just about, like, family life. Um, well, this sentence leapt out at me from the back. The family house is in the small, far west town of Fingerbone. <laughs> Yeah, the Finger Lakes. It's like, it's like extremely Finger Lake centric. It's a really amazing book. And she just, it's one of those things. Um, I don't know, when I read books like that or writing like that, I just feel so almost relieved that I'll like never create anything that good. Like it's just so genius that it just kind of to me is a relief where I'm like, you are incredible. You are an artist and I will strive to be better, but I will never be comparing myself to you because like, thank you for making this. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's really how I feel about it. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think now it's really difficult because there are so many people making amazing things it's and it's so, so hard yeah, yeah. to be in the, and to kind of be, to, to read what you love, yes. but also to feel like you can just love it and you don't need to go and kind of get on, your, you know, one's, sort of internet soapbox like I need yeah. to talk about that and that every I think having opinions about everything well yeah obviously if you, if you want to write a letter to an author but no, no you don't like the <laughs> ending go right ahead I but yeah I know that there are books that feel like they're outside this yes. sort of shouty urgency it's and true. it's not something you have to kind of be keeping up with it's just there for you it's true there's something really amazing about that and also kind of grim about it and I think it's like to me it's explained why I've gravitated more towards books that I like have read or where the authors are like not very online and like the weird thing is like now I am sort of becoming that like I'm finding that I like am online and I'm talking about my book and people are like in my comment section and I'm like way too accessible for what I thought like authors should yeah. be I'm like I'm just right here well, <laughs> like, yeah. you know because I find that really hard hey and I think you probably you know have it sort of a thousand times more than I do that like I don't want to be online as much as I am, but I feel sort of obliged. Like yes. it might die if I don't keep yeah. stoking the fire. Every day I'm like, oh, do you remember I have a book out? And everyone's like, yeah, like we hate this. Like just move on. And I'm like, oh gosh, but please read this. Like it's just, it's a really, and I, and I've talked to many other people who kind of feel that, that weird split of feeling compelled to stay online. And also like, I, I need it for so many aspects of my career. And then just being like, 
to me, sometimes I'm like, I think my personality online and this persona that I am actually is like a detriment to the work that I'm doing outside of being online. Like my book is very measured and very thoughtful and online I'm like shouting in all caps at all times. And I'm just like, oh, I hope that like, I mean, I find it quite flattening, yeah. you know, that I can't... And it's weird because what being online has done has meant that not only has it made me, I think, a worse writer, yes. it's also meant that I find it much harder than I ever used to to even, like, take an hour to just yep. be in my head, which is really your only job as a writer yeah. is to be by yourself in your own head and be comfortable with that. No, it's it's oh. truly... It's so hard. I keep having this this thought of like, okay, I'm in the midst of kind of creating next projects. I need to take a, a Twitter break. I need to not. And then I'm like, okay, but how am I getting... That's how I get my news. That's how I talk to my friends. That's how I stay connected. And so it's very surreal to try to pick like, okay, I need the silence and solitude of like letting my brain marinate in these ideas and thinking about them. But I also am like addicted to technology and social media and I'm not giving myself any time to really think about what I want to be writing about. And it just keeps, it's going so fast. So it's like, to think of like, okay, I'm going to stay offline and, and write something thoughtful. I'm like, well, what if everyone's like really moved on by that yeah. point? You know, like. It stokes a bad, bad anxiety, doesn't it? And it's like, I feel it's just like, the world is ending. Be very yes. afraid. I've won a prize. And that's all that's sort of yes. being yelled at you. It's really hard to, to balance like, you know, kind of what to do in the, the in-between. Obviously, we know like things are extremely grim and we should be shouting about those things at all time. And, and doing anything else can sometimes feel like really, you know, out of character. 1 size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com/switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month, unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after 6 months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We'll be back to Shelby soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week, a book that's so rich in impact it should have been written in beluga caviar on cashmere pages, although I'm glad it wasn't because that would make it really hard to read. This week it's The Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer, the story of Greer, young, gifted and broke, whose life is changed by an encounter with the celebrity feminist speaker Faith Frank. This book is so full, smart and tender it's a lacerating, painful and funny close examination of our attitudes to class, money and womanhood. Wolitzer is a writer of great honesty, compassion and subtlety. The realness of this book broke my heart. Every character is so vivid and recognisable and they're allowed to revel in their own humanity. But it's also a book that forces its readers to call themselves to account. Also, it's over 400 pages long, but I still felt genuinely bereft when I reached the end and had to part company with Greer, Z, Faith and Corey. The Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer is published by Chateau and Windus and it's out now. Now, back to Shelby. Oh, I just read this and it was so good. I read it in like a day. It's called My Sister the Serial Killer. And it's a, it's about that, but it's also just really about, um, I have a sister, so, you know, it's about just family and relationships and what it means to love someone who is like a narcissist and like what it means to, to love someone and care about someone, even when they're like really literally destroying everything around them. Uh, it was also just so funny and I was not expecting that. I, everyone who had told me to read it, I, I kind of got the vibe that it was like a thriller and I was like really pleasantly surprised by like how 
how dark and funny it was. Because I think that's because people, this book has been recommended to be by so many people, yeah. and I really, really, really want to read it. And there's a bit of me that's like, oh, I don't like serial killer books. But it's I'm so like, funny. It, it like, looks, really is brilliant. Yeah, it really was. You know, it's it's dark and gritty, but it was so much more about this really like delicate, complex relationship between um, these sisters. Because um, I think having written my own book about having many sisters, yeah. I've got five. Yeah. Um, I love, it's, I think this is especially true in the past when they're like, we want to write a book about the relationships women have with each other because that's interesting. But how can yeah. we justify that? Because it's women. And right. that, that there are so many sisters yeah. in books. And when you start yeah. looking, they're everywhere. Yeah. I felt like that about the Elena Ferrante books. I was mm. like, this is the best relationships between women that I have read in a while. But I felt like the way people were talking about them was just like, there had to be something. Like, people were just trying to make it. And there are so many amazing aspects about that book. Like, I really loved the series. Um, but I remember people talking about them with this sort of, like, I feel like people wanted it to be more than just compelling look at female friendships. And it obviously was, but I also don't think that there was anything wrong with it being, like, an excellent version of yeah. that. And so it was weird being like, uh, you know, these are obviously these books, like, they show this woman's political progression, they get they kind of break wide open when you, you know, you keep reading them and it's really so incredible form. Class, yeah. In her relationship with her mother. But yeah. it can be a book that's quite, I suppose, you don't need anything dramatic to happen beyond life happening and a woman's life and women's right. lives happening. Right. Um, although I did recently, someone was saying, oh, um, I really need like a sort of, you know, a lovely winter read to make me feel like I'm in the Naples sunshine. Yeah. Shall I read the, um, the Neapolitan novels? And I said, no, like really they're amazing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. they they're brutal. Yeah. You know, this is like you're in Pasolini country. Oh, you don't yeah. want to. I like, totally lost with... myself in those books. I was like, this is ah, oh, yeah. Did you read them back to back? Because I had to take a minute. I was so I had to almost shake myself off and really yeah. pace it. I read them. Yeah, I read them all back to back. I couldn't stop, and it was like kind of. I think it was the summer that they were like kind of re-released here it was like when all of the fervor around them kind of like you know became alive again and I just remember catch it I was on the train and I would see like so many other people reading them and we would just be like it was just this wild like oh this is like the book of the moment like you know there's times where you're like on a train you can kind of see what people are, are reading at a given time um this is also one of my favorite books may we be forgiven by A.M. Holmes and it is really disgusting i've had this book for a long time the pages are like there's coffee on it dust jacket it's It's just yeah what does the cover look like i couldn't even tell you um yeah this is one of one of the first books i remember A, a writing teacher that i really really valued recommended this to me when i left his class i was like what should i read and he said maybe be forgiven by m holmes and is this swimming home it is yeah uh it's about a really dysfunctional family um you know as many novels are but it's so weird and so dark and so funny and it just like goes in places that (laughs) just really it's really incredible um i love how just flipping through i really love a a dialogue heavy book if you've got something good at dialogue and i know to me i'm like i'm constantly amazed by that because like i i i stick to uh non-fiction and and humor writing because like i don't know what dialogue should sound like um well do you think you will have a try fiction one day when you're feeling you know I used to write that week Twitter. <laughs> when I I used to write fiction, it was always like very you know close to home, you could say. And I honestly, these days, I feel more inspired trying to help people understand real things in the world, um, and kind of unpacking that. And that doesn't mean that fiction is off limits. Uh, and you know, I do I make up a lot of things in my writing uh, and in my art. It just so happens that like it's rooted in in things that people recognize. So it's never like this invented thing. It's like oh, that's happened to a friend of mine. Yeah, I mean, also I love Anne Carson. I lied when I said I don't know any poetry. Anne Carson is an amazing poet. I really would just do anything for her. Um, oh wow, that's another incredible edition. Yeah. It comes in a beautiful presentation book. It is a elegy to her brother, and so the book itself is like very coffin-like, um, and it's a palimpsest. So like, you've got all of these pages together, 
and it's just like her processing um this death and it's really it's really beautiful it's really heartbreaking um you can also spread it out which i love presented in such an amazing way it's really just incredible and her newest book um also is in like this beautiful folio box i haven't gotten it yet but um i see it around and i'm just like itching for it it's just so cool um, a book I wanted to ask about, which is a really insensitive segue, Stiff, The Curious <laughs> Lives of Human Cadavers. Yeah. This looks amazing. Why do you have this? You know, I like gross things. I also, for a really brief moment in time, was helping out with this podcast that was all about death. And a lot of it was like, uh, you know, learning about how um, Americans came to kind of view death and like why the grieving process is different here. And so I was like, I'm going to... I'm going to go in there. Honestly, I, I had to stop reading after a little bit. I was just like, I don't think that I can do this at this moment in time. What do you think is different about death in America compared with other places? At this moment in time, it's so bizarre because on the one hand, like when we were talking about Twitter, like death is so flattened. Like it is happening all of the time in every way, shape and form. And we are constantly inundated to hearing about it and like desensitized to it in that way. So it's like unbelievable. Um, and at the same time, I think like the grieving process is already like less from what I understand. And this might be me, um, combining stereotypes around America and other places, but from what I've understood and, um, I feel like just the, the grieving process here is much more closeted than it is in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and much more processed and crying really loudly at funerals I think is something that would be like you know not looked down upon but not something that was like oh normal human out you know outpouring of emotion when someone died like there are there are these kind of rules and and etiquette here um that I think are very learned and very indicative of you know a lot of things the UK you feel as though there's almost a time limit on it Mm. you can be sad you know up until this point and then you know the person has a funeral and then you're like okay you've done your grieving and mourning no really not yeah yeah it's so it's so interesting there are definitely I mean I think this is true everywhere we just have really specific ideas around what grief looks like um and like what the grieving process should be and the reality is that we just never know are there any fictional grievings that you have gone through characters that you've listed missed yeah I mean I honestly feel like every time I finish a book there's like a a microscopic grief in and of that where I'm like I have just gotten so close to these people and they just like accompanied me on this you know journey through my life and now I've closed the book and they're gone everywhere for a very kind of concentrated period of time it's just really it hurts (laughs) I love rereading because they're my friends and the first time I read the book I'm making sure they're all okay at the end and then when I know what happens like I know you're going to be fine I can just enjoy spending time with you I know I need to I need to be better about um rereading honestly I have so much anxiety about not being able to read everything which like doi obviously I'm not gonna be able to read everything but it's this very like this base instinct where I'm like, I'm going to try. Yeah, do you find you are just reading all the time as a matter of course, or is it something that you yeah. need to make time for and schedule a little bit? I mean, I have, I, I have hacked, uh, the world in, in having the truth that like reading is a, a huge part of my process. And like, I think that's true for so many writers is that like reading other people's work is like so essential mm. to being able to do what we do. I think, yeah, you almost have to be the only rule for being a writer is to be yeah, a reader, be a reader. Maybe. And I feel like every every interview I've listened to with writers that I respect have said some version of this where I'm like, oh, good. Like that really that makes a lot of sense to me. Like I spend so much of my time absorbing other people's visions of the world and how they view things. Yeah, I love I love reading in like in in any circumstance and like I you know I will read on the train I'll read in cars I'm not someone who walks and reads like this is this is a crucial oh, point it really makes me quite anxious it when makes I see me people doing anxious. that I'm not trying to I actually just started this book Milkman I yes once. and like one of the, in the first few pages like one of the characters like central like you know quote-unquote flaws that she's walking and reading at the same time yeah that book I'm only 
like 20, 30 pages in and I have felt so disoriented in the best way. And there's a little bit of me that's like, well, maybe it's okay in rural island, 70s, yeah. fewer cars. Yeah. That's the, I was so excited when that won the booker because yeah. I feel as though that's something, again, a little bit like maybe the Ferrante novels where it's a very close examination of something that, you know, yeah. a woman is going through. And in the past, maybe someone would have come and like, but there needs to be more, right. and you need to be like... A- and you're like, okay, well, what are all of these books by men about? It's literally the same thing. Like, uh, I, in addition to Franzen, I also often pick, um, what's the guy who did five volumes of My Struggle? Oh, Carol, yeah. Carl, oh, I've never read, I'm sure they're excellent, and like, but just the premise of like, how people respond to those, like, versus how they respond to other like, serialized works by other people is just like, okay. Can you imagine <laughs> going to like, your agent or your publisher and saying, so I've got this idea. Oh, she's amazing, Anne Leckie um, is a sci-fi author, I, I think I did lend out the first one, but she has this series called Ancillary Justice. And it's this, like, kind of genderless surveillance state future. And the main character is a warship, like a sentient ship who is, like, living in a human body. It's so wild. I loved that. I think I read that kind of at the same time that I was reading the first one of this to, like, The Lightning, um, which is by Ada Palmer. And also, I guess it's sci-fi, maybe more fantasy. Also, um, it's really interesting, actually, like... She plays around with gender a lot, but it's in this way where, like, it's so futuristic yeah. that, like, reverting to sort of, quote-unquote, like, typical gender norms is actually, like, way more subversive ah. than anything else. So, like, it's in this, like, you know, like, techno society and, like, everything is, you know, automated um, but then the sort of, like, the raunchy thing that they're hiding is, like, this group of elites kind of role-playing, like, a renaissance Ooh. gender roles. Yeah, it's, really, it's really cool. That's, that's the smartest concept. It's design. so like, it's cool. breaking my brain. How'd you come up with that? It's so cool, and, like, um, everyone lives in, like, these hives, which is, like, kind of how, you know, future living should be. Um, so it was really, it was interesting. I also got this, which really just ruined my life it's called the new dark age technology and the end of future by james bridal it's got a very cheerful primary oh, colored cover for such a sad life. book i actually had to skip a chapter i had to skip the chapter about um about airplanes and like how climate is making it's like the of all of the things you know this book is is horrifying in so many ways but the thing that specifically horrified me was like I'm I'm terrified of flying. So the thing that was like really bad to me was like, oh, flying is actually gonna be worse. And I was like, you know, even more reason why I'm gonna just worse for the world or worse as an experience. Worse as an experience, and also obviously for the world. But it was like, oh, in addition to all of the pollutants, like actually the air the air is changing and and flights are gonna be worse. And I was like, I can't read this anymore. But yeah, it's it's a really interesting um, book that I think like very kind of cohesively makes literal what a lot of uh, people are saying about technology like it's so easy to just be like ah technology is ruining us blah, blah 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 and this book is just like literally like we're not talking about the infrastructure of these things like there are fiber optic cables under the sea they're eroding like we gotta we gotta zoom out um so I loved that but yeah it destroyed me because I think sometimes as well there's a danger that we sort of think oh god it's all terrible but it's inevitable so let's not yes. breaking it down and being specific about what totally. the problems are is really totally it's um, something I know shamefully little about, and I must I mean, learn more. Yeah, these are another, speaking of white men who write things, um, good things? They're, it's great. It's actually two white men, so take that. Um, oh, God, I hate it when they make friends. They make friends, they made friends, and then they made, one, they made one name to write together. But, um, oh, so it's one called James and one called Corey. I honestly don't even know James their real names. S. A. Corey. Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank are their real names. It's the pen name of them. Okay, the whole thing is called The Expanse, now a TV show, but it is like a Game of Thrones style epic, but it's in space. So you've got like in the you know forefront, you've got gritty politics between people who live on on the belt and on the Earth and on the space station, and then distant future, there's like a huge unknown threat coming and I just love that setup for like seven books you know this thing is coming and it's just yeah and I'm really in there I've read them all 
You really immerse yourself. I you're really have. Squatch. Oh here. yeah, my my small. So these graphic novels here. Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. This is beautiful. Passing Human by yeah. Liana Fink. Liana is the best. And then this is her new book. It's called Excuse Me. It's so cool. Um, Liana was someone that I looked up to forever because she's just like so 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 smart and so funny, and her art is really beautiful. And then I started cartooning, and we became internet friends, and oh, then wow. became real friends. And it's just. It's really cool to see how, like, oh, my gosh, these people who were uh, my absolute heroes are now people who I still look up to but also consider my peers, and it just, like, it blows me away. Um, oh, so exciting. Have you got any other heroes who've become real-life buddies? Oh, in my this? God, Sam- Samantha Irby. I have Her books are loaned out, or else I would be having them here right now because I just give my best books away. I'd really like to think that in the future there'll be, like, one person listening yeah. to that oh my god I have all of Shelby's books no, truly it's like someone is someone sh- is gonna pay for this but you know I love lending books to my friends but yeah Sam Irby is someone who like her essays just crack me up I've read them forever she just makes me laugh so hard and is so brilliantly funny and and smart we found each other on the internet and then ended up you know talking and our it's hard for me to comprehend because like to me it still feels like this like oh my gosh, like, these are people that I, like, have been reading for years, and they, like, know who I am, and, like, like my work, like, it just, the cognitive dissonance just jumps out, I'm like, I can't even process this, like, it's way too cool. You know, for all our complaining about the internet, it's, it really, I think, in a way, there's something kind of as democratic as anything can possibly be, where you don't have to wait to be at the right party you'll be introduced or you know know certain people you can just say here's my work and people can find it and love it it's really it's really fascinating I mean there is still I think like so much weird stuff around book promotion and just uh writers online and the right way to to be and the right way to promote your book and there's so much I just feel like there's just so many little politics of that that I just like don't understand nor really want to at this moment in time I'm just kind of letting it happen <laughs> I think it's it's really really hard and you know because I do stuff where that I sort of feel obliged to do and yes. then other right like I've got you know various friends who are sort of going through it at the moment like with first books and things and yeah. that and it's weird that sort of you almost want to say you need to calm down but yeah. I get it I know how and I know and yeah. just feeling yeah it was also just so surreal I I was just so deluded into thinking that when my book released, everyone would read it immediately. And yes. I was like, oh, everyone's going to know. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to be promoting this book for the rest of my life. Like, in addition to everything else that I create and will be promoting. Like, truly, like, I, it's just so, it's so strange when you get so immersed in your own work. I think so. And especially when you publish anything online and you yes. know that if something has a reaction, it yeah. happens either in 24 hours yes. or a week. It's immediate. And then yeah. you really, you know, I really struggled with it. Like, oh. Oh, yeah. No, everything, my entire, you know, project of Awards for Good Boys was like posting things online and immediately seeing people oh. like them. And so I. Re- was working on this book in secret and then was just sort of like okay like can't wait like book release day like here it comes and it was like see, it's so, so big, anticlimactic like, yeah, I was like what's happening you think it's going to be like a thousand times yes. what you get when you have a really good post oh exactly like, I was like everyone's gonna just I'm sorry. go run and buy it run to the bookstore and take a day off work <laughs> to <laughs> read my book what is this I was like, this is so strange it's almost as if like this is a material object that people have to go and like have the means to purchase and there's so many other factors involved with just like me you know blasting out a a comic for free and it was a very good learning experience where I was just like oh my gosh I've been so spoiled by uh by so many things but by this instant gratification of people responding to my work and then the the eerie part is like oh everyone is like loving this thing that I made in 30 minutes but this thing this project that I put my heart and soul into and like you know is actually the thing I care about and everything is just a vessel for you to read this everyone's like yeah you know someday it's so complicated as well because I think we do when we see people it's what I find it very interesting oh god so right for them they're always talking about all these great things they're yeah. doing like my thing isn't good I need yeah. to and oh, actually yeah. to know that everybody however kind of you know super super successful something seems yeah. that actually it's yeah it also just feels like there are like there are so many incredible people making work today mm-hmm. but because of just like how celebrity culture works and stand culture works there are like three people allowed to be like the popular ones mm-hmm. at any given time 
And it's so much pressure for them. And it's also so much pressure for everyone else. Like you have these like, and I mean, it's kind of what I make work about where it's like, you have these few figures, you're putting them on a pedestal. You're not allowing them fallibility. You're Mm -hmm. not letting them be human. You're just like, this is the best person writing today. And it's like, not only is that so unfair to all of the millions of people who are so incredible, but it also just like, it sets up a standard where it's like, you're not allowed to grow and evolve with this person that whose work you're consuming and like they should be able to change and you should Mm. be able to change. And maybe you won't like their next project, but you'll love this one. And And yeah, they should be able to make art that they're inspired to make rather than feeling the pressure of having to follow up this thing. Yeah. I got caught recently in a bookstore looking for my own book because I like came into the bookstore. I was like looking on all the tables, which was like really, mm, it was bold of me to look around on the tables. It's not on the tables. It's like in the section it's supposed to be, and it's in the comedy section or the like illustrated section. And like the person who worked at the bookstore was like, are you Shelby? And I was like leaning down looking at my own book. And I was like, I just, yep. I needed to make sure it was there. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, uh, it's so bizarre. Whenever um, you're in the UK, this is something that my bookseller friends have told me. And I was like, really? Are you sure? They're really, really nice, friendly people who work in bookstores and they love it. They want you to sign your books. Oh, okay. And the best thing as well is, I don't know if it's different here to there, but if if you sign the book, then they've bought it. it. Yeah, they can't send it back. I think they can send it back here. Oh. Yeah. Well... Come, <laughs> come to London. Yeah. Come and I'll I will take you around I all know. my favorite bookstores and oh, say everybody, this is Shelby. Let you know, slap your signed copy stickers yeah, on there. I would love that. I know the the book is releasing again in the UK, and the only difference is, I mean, the cover is different, and there's no Oxford. Oh, com- the yeah, you guys can have one. There's oh, no Oxford so comma. Um, let me get you a nicer one. Um, that's a beautiful hardback. We've got. I the, know, um, so exciting. The US one. They got a little. Um, a little damaged in the post but yeah there's no Oxford comma and I just I love it it's so funny are there any um any awards you would like to um I think it's a a tiny reading if you if you'd like if that's okay if there's anything oh and the book is dedicated it is to my dog (laughs) it's quite embarrassing yes a good girl you are being a good girl yeah I feel like this is very on brand I'll read some of this so this is a chapter called Pygmalion In college, I was in a long-distance, quote-unquote, open, more on that later, relationship with a boy a few years older than me who lived in New York while I was finishing up school in Ohio. I received an unyielding stream of content about his own life that he released into the void of our primarily digital exchanges, demanding validation, being seen, being asked follow-up questions. Though he gave little in return, I told myself if I poured enough love and emotional labor into him, he would turn around and show me the same. In many ways, I was dating him because I wanted his life his cool job, his ability to make money as an artist, doing what he loved. I knew, but decided not to notice, that he conveniently ignored the fact that I was an artist too, because I was young and not a professional like him, and my art and words came from a place of my own vulnerability and gasp emotionality. He was very much a logic or bust sort of man, and I was drawn to that too, because internalized misogyny told me my version of seeing the world was less than, and his was the North Star I should seek to follow." The short version is, he didn't want me as a partner. He wanted me as a cheerleader, someone to inspire him, to make him feel needed and loved and worthy, to keep him company while he waited for someone more suitable, not in college, not so emotional, to come along. During this time, I felt comfort in ye old versions of my current boyfriend, other old white men in their art, who shined a light on the fucked upness of my then percolating ideas about men and their desires. Huge thanks to Shelby. You can follow her at Awards for Good Boys on Instagram and at SD Lawman on Twitter. Awards for Good Boys, Tales of Dating, Double Standards and Doom is published by Penguin Books and out now. I'm Daisy Buchanan and I've been your book inspector. Thank you so much for joining me, fellow shelf obsessives. You can find me on Twitter at NotRollerGirl and on Instagram at the Daisy Bee. Say hello, suggest some guests and watch out for shelfies. Visit our show page, acast.com slash booked, for more information about our guest and a list of the books they've talked about. If you have any other queries about the podcast, you can email us at whybooked at gmail.com. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and it's hosted by Acast. Please do subscribe, rate us and leave a review. It's great to hear what you think and it helps other people find the podcast. For now, I leave you with this from Philip Hall, who said this to our excellent podcast pals at Backlisted. 
Books like friends. They always turn on you in the end. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.